The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I appreciate that good public prayer. As I often say, I trust that you'll continue to offer up private prayers on my behalf as I try to speak to you from the book of Ruth. You spent a couple of Sundays talking about Ruth, or maybe it was a Sunday morning and night sometime back. And if you recall, we started out looking at Naomi, the woman who was negative, the woman who began to, uh, well, she experienced some terrible things in her life, some tragedies, but then she began to blame God for it. She began to say, the Lord's done this to me, and the Lord did that to me, and and, you know, I went out full, and the Lord brought me back empty, and the Lord's hand is against me, and you know, that's a temptation we have, especially with the teachings of the world about trying to tell us that everything that happens is something the Lord is doing rather than placing the blame where it belongs on the sin curse that's on this world. We talked about her and how she looked at things wrong, but we saw that as they came back from that land of Moab, uh, unbeknownst to her, she came back at the beginning of barley harvest. And that's one of the sweetest verses in the Bible. If you look at the end of chapter 1 of Ruth, it says, They came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. It just so happened. You know, just because we don't believe that everything is predestinated by God doesn't mean we don't believe in the providence of God. We believe in God's providential care. And she came back just so happened. The Lord moved her and the Lord providentially delivered and, and guided her to where they came back at the beginning of the most fruitful period of time in the nation of Israel's cycle of life. In, in, in the most, at the time when the barley was coming in, you know, she left in a famine. She came back in the barley harvest. And, and then we saw how that there was a man named Boaz. And we're not, I know Boaz is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going we're gonna to probably talk about that at some point. I can't hardly preach on this this book of Ruth without talking about that. But primarily our focus was on Boaz as a man. And Boaz as a godly man who didn't leave during the famine, did not abandon the kingdom of God just because things weren't going his way, didn't up and move to what looked like a better place just because there was a famine. And, and we talked about the fact that there are times of famine in the kingdom of God. I've experienced them. You've experienced them. And we know people, and maybe we've done it ourselves, that have abandoned the kingdom of God because there's a famine. Maybe the preaching's not what it should be. Maybe the fellowship's not what it ought to be. Of course, I always say when the fellowship's not what it should be, the first thing you need to examine is yourself. We need to examine ourselves first before we start saying, well, old brother so-and-so, old sister so-and-so, they're not doing me the way they should be. Well, maybe you're not doing them the way that they should be doing. You should be doing them. But be that as it may, we realize there's times of famine. There's times... You know, we've experienced the times of harvest, you know, in gathering. Six and seven people being baptized at a time. What a glorious thing that is. But you know, there are times when that doesn't happen. There are times when people die in the kingdom of God and nobody's there to replace them. Now, there's things we can do to try to, uh, try to make sure that, uh, that at least our fields are tilled and ready and we're, we're, we're doing what we should do. But we realize there are times when famine is going to occur because we live in a famine-cursed world. 
We do. Now in the kingdom of God here in the nation of Israel, God told them, and we're not told specifically about this famine, but God told them from time that, that, that one of the things I'll do to judge you when you go away from me and apostatize and go into idolatry is I'll send famine on the land. He specifically told them that. Could it be that Elimelech was not willing to submit himself to the chastening of God and said, well, I know what God said, and this is probably a famine of judgment, but I'm going over here to the world and I'm going to take care of myself. So sometimes, you know, I'm not saying that happens today in the Lord, but, but sometimes the Lord withholds his blessing, sometimes for chastening, sometimes he just, it just happens. But Boaz didn't abandon the kingdom of God. He stayed there. He stayed in Bethlehem, the house of bread, literally is what that means. And so Naomi comes back, leaves in a famine and comes back in a harvest and Boaz is still there and we're told he's a mighty man of wealth. We, we talked about his faithfulness. We talked about what he was looking for. What he was looking for in his own life and what he was looking for in a wife. And that kind of brings us to where I want to go today. Again, there's some great parallels and lessons for the kingdom of God, and, and we need to, we're going to see some of those today. But I want you young ladies particularly, all of you that are unmarried in particular, but even you older ladies that are married, and, uh, but I want you to notice something, because I want to preach to you about what's found in chapter Ruth chapter uh, 2 and verse 16. It says that Boaz made this statement in regard to Ruth, as he told his young men that worked for him, let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. And I want you young ladies to think about Ruth as a woman. Ruth as a young woman and what she was doing. And, and we're going to talk about, I, what I want to preach to you about this morning is handfuls of purpose. Handfuls of purpose. Boaz tells his young men, as Ruth is out gleaning in the field, and you know the background here, she said, I'm going to go out and glean in a field today, uh, not buy a field because she didn't have any money, not march up to some place and demand a job because she had no standing, she was a stranger, but I'm just going to go out and I'm going to glean in the field. And that means I'm going to take what's left over when the workers get through harvesting. Whatever's out there, I'm going to try my best to gather up enough to live on and to take care of, my, of Naomi, my mother-in-law. And she's out there gleaning. And Boaz, as, as we're going to see, Boaz has noticed her. We've already talked about that in one of the messages previously. We're going to see it again. Boaz has noticed her and he has had a conversation with her now, and he tells his young men that work for him, you let fall some of the handfuls of purpose for her. And I want to preach to you about handfuls of purpose this morning. Because you see, I believe in our lives, God lets fall some handfuls of purpose. That means on purpose, he places and drops some things in our path when we need them the most. He sustains us. I believe, it was, uh, I believe it was David the psalmist that said, I've lived a long time, but I've never seen the Lord's children forsaken or His seed begging bread. Anyone that's hungry, any child of God that's hungry, any child of God that's desiring it, if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, Jesus Himself said, you'll be filled. Yeah. Handfuls of purpose. Handfuls of purpose. Now, the, now, I want us to focus specifically on Ruth. <clears throat> I want us to notice some things about Ruth 
that gave her the opportunity to experience these handfuls that were dropped on purpose by these young men. The first thing we see is that she was in the right place. She was in the right place. See, she needed to be in the right country. She needed to be in the right kingdom. Uh, you remember in chapter 1, verse 4, we're told that the, the, the sons of Naomi and Elimelech married Moabite women. She was a Moabite woman. And you know the origin and the circumstances of Moab. Moab was a pagan country. Yeah. Sometime turn back to the, last, the closing verses of Genesis chapter 19, and you'll learn about Moab and its origin. It's not a very illustrious origin. In fact, it's a, an origin that uh, we don't even like to talk about in mixed company today, but Lot committing unspeakable acts with his daughter, uh, the, the result was the birth of Moab and Ammon. <laughs> and both of those countries were pagan countries. They founded pagan nations. And in fact, uh, the idolatry of Moab was such that they worshiped the god Chemosh, uh, and you can go back and look at some of these in Numbers. Uh, Numbers chapter 21 and verse 29 tells you about that. And over in, I want you to look, but I do want you to turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 3. And I want you to see something about these Moabites. 2 Kings chapter uh, 3, I believe it is. Verse, yeah. Verse 26, this is what Moabites do. This is what you would expect if you were in the country of Moab. Ruth would not have been shocked if she were living in this day because it says when the king of Moab, this is Israel had come out against Moab, they were fighting, and, and he says when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore for him, it was going bad, he took with him 700 men that drew swords to break through even to the king of Edom, but they could not. He's losing the battle. So look what he did. Then he took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. He, he sacrificed his oldest son. I don't know how old he was. I think he was probably still a child. That's what they did in Moab. Moab was a place filled with idolatry. It was a place where human sacrifice was rampant. You've heard us talk about Baal worship, but Baal really was a whole category of gods, including this Chemosh, and there's a god called Molech that was a Baalish god, and, and they would sit up there with this uh, uh, kind of look like a, a Buddha figure, this big uh, figure sitting up there with his arms out in front of him and a hole there in a little slanted uh, ramp, if you will, and they'd build a fire under him. There'd be a hole down there, and they'd place those babies on that hole while the, while the drums were beating to drown out the cries of the mother, and they would sacrifice those babies. That's what it means when you read about them passing through, causing their children to pass through the fire. They would sacrifice her. But that's where Ruth was. That's where she was. And we're also told, you don't have to turn there because I just want to quote it, but uh, Numbers chapter 25 and verse 1 tells us what an immoral place it was. It says that uh, Israel abode in Shittim and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. It was a place where idolatry and fornication was encouraged. It was a place where immorality was rampant. And in fact, in their worship, they committed fornication in worshiping their gods. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Kind of sounds like some places we know, doesn't it? Well, I'm not talking about the 
Southern Baptist churches or the Methodist church. I'm not talking about the Christian churches. I'm talking about America. Yes. I'm talking about Hollywood. You know, all these... I didn't mean to get off in this, but you know, all these, all these allegations that have come out recently against men like Harvey Weinstein and people like that. You know what it's doing, though? It's just showing you the ultimate end of that culture right. in Hollywood. Right. I read about young men as well as young women that just accepted the fact that, that molestation and abuse was part of, their, part of their lifestyle if they were going to get ahead in Hollywood. Isn't that something? Isn't that awful? Fornication. This is where Ruth was. And she needed to be away from there. Through no fault of her own. She, she didn't choose to be born there, but she was born there and she grew up among the pagans. But I want you to notice this sweet young Ruth who grew up among a pagan culture, who grew up among an idolatrous culture when she was presented with the truths of the kingdom of God. She chose to stay with Naomi. Now you remember when we preached on this a few weeks ago, we kind of skipped over verses 16 through 18 of chapter 1. But today I want to go back to them. Because today I want us to see what this sweet young uh, child of God thought was important even though she had grown up among the heathen. When presented with the idea and her mother-in-law even was discouraging her from coming to the kingdom of God... Verse 16, Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where, where thou lodgest, I will lodge. And thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Now I realize we read that at weddings, and it's appropriate to read it at weddings. And it's especially appropriate if you, you young man or you young woman, grew up among the pagans and now you've found the kingdom of God and you're marrying someone who's in the kingdom of God and that's appropriate and that's okay. But this is the attitude that you need to have. Young men, that's the attitude you need to be looking for in your, your bride. I always encourage you to you know, fish in the right pond. <laughs> you know, you want to catch catfish, fish in a catfish pond. If you want to catch bass, you know, fish in a bass pond. But, uh, but, but as we've seen and as we know, there are those times when someone from outside the kingdom of God uh, marries someone within the kingdom of God and they come into the kingdom of God and it's a glorious relationship and it's a wonderful thing. But my, my beloved, I say to you, that's what you need to be looking for in a spouse if they're outside the kingdom of God. If, you're, if they're in the kingdom of God, then praise God. You need to have this attitude as well. But notice what Ruth said. Ruth said, I don't want to leave. I've heard the truth now. I've been with you. I love you, Naomi. I loved your son and I love you. Obviously, we, we give a, a lot of grief to Naomi, but obviously she had taught her the truth. They didn't forget about Jehovah God. Over in Moab, they didn't become pagans out in the world. It's hard to maintain your, uh, your separation when you're out in the world. It's certainly hard when you're away from the kingdom of God, but hey, we've got to hand it to them. They must have taught the truths of God's kingdom because she said, I want to go where you go. I want your people to be my people, and I want your God to be my God. Now, this is not... You know, this, I don't think I even have to say, this is not getting to heaven. 
This is not somebody saying, I want to, your God to be my God so I can go to heaven. This is somebody saying, I'm on the way to heaven. I've, 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 I've been pricked in my heart. I see something new here, something different, and I want to grasp and hold on to the God that's holding me in the palm of his hand, you see. She, she was over there in a pagan place, and yet she confessed her faith in the true God. She needed to be out of that place and in the right country. You know, we read in chapter 2 and verse 11 that when Boaz is telling her that, you know, he's saying, I'm praying the Lord will be with you and recompense your work. Um, and verse, verse 11, he says, you know, it's been fully showed to me that all that you've done with your mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, how thou left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity and art come into a people which thou knewest not heretofore. Apparently her mom and daddy were still living. Apparently she was willing to give that up. You know, Jesus said, He that cometh after me and forsaketh not houses and lands and family, he's not worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, I don't, I, that doesn't mean to declare war on them. But it does mean that, that if they're trying to keep you from the kingdom of God, you've got to separate from them. Because there's nothing greater than following the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be doing. And I don't care if it's... Uh, I've, seen, I've seen families where everyone else in the family was against the truths of God's Word and one sweet little child of God said, you know, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. And you know, let me just say this. Uh, I know we sometimes get a negative attitude. And I understand that, that our, our minds are filled with the things of the world and we see what really happens around us and we say well that can never happen you know i know it sounds good brother chris but it really doesn't ever happen but you know i do know of some situations where one person in a big family came to the kingdom of god and had to press into the kingdom had to take it violently <laughs> dealing you know struggling against family that didn't like it didn't want them and yet ultimately the whole family came over to the kingdom of God. It happens. It does. But notice that this young Ruth here, she was willing to forsake all for the kingdom of God because she knew she needed to be in the right country. And, and then when she came back to the right country, she needed also to be in the right place there. She needed to be in the right field. Now, now you might take this... Um, analogy in the world today you know i know people i was reading about a lady who grew up as a muslim grew up in a muslim home married at 13 or forced to marry in a, in a muslim country and finally left that country suffered all kinds of abuse and now reaches out to muslims as she converted to christianity uh and and she now reaches out to muslims specifically to try to convert them to christianity you see now now certainly if you're in a pagan idolatrous, anti-Jehovah land, like a Muslim country or somewhere like, you need to get out of it and get into a Christian land. But even when you get back to the kingdom of God, to a place like America, to a place where there are all kinds of churches, you need to be in the right field. <laughs> you need to be in the right church. You need to be in the right place to hear the right kinds of things being taught. You remember what we read in chapter 2 and verse 3? It says, her hap... <laughs> She went, she went to glean, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. 
again, we see the providence of God. And I, I don't want to go into that because I'd be on it the rest of the morning. But, uh, but just suffice it to say that God providentially leads us. Is there anyone here today that does not believe that the providence of God was involved in you being a part of Zion Primitive Baptist Church? I tell you, the providence of God was written all over my coming to this church. And I believe you can say the same thing. Wherever your church is, wherever your situation is, the providence of God is involved. But you know, God doesn't pick us up and set us down and plant us where we can't get up and move out. <laughs> we could always leave. And you're going to see here that, that here in the Word of God, in the, in the book of Ruth, she happened through the providence of God to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz. And then if you remember, Boaz tells her, once he notices her, he says to her in verse 8, Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Throughout the Bible, God tells his people to worship him in the way that he tells us to worship him and him alone. <laughs> Jesus said unto Satan in the fourth chapter of the book of Matthew in the temptation of the wilderness, he said, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So we worship him only, and we serve him only. And that means we do what he says. Now I want you to get this, because this is very important. We're preaching about handfuls of purpose. And I believe that's the providence of God in taking care of his people letting things purposely fall in our way, blessings purposely come our way that will be good for us throughout our lives. But I want you to get, if you don't get anything else from this message, I want you to get this. Nowhere does God promise handfuls of purpose or blessings to those who are away from Him. I'm talking about children of God here. Nowhere does He say, wherever you are, I'm just going to drop handfuls of purpose on purpose in front of you and you'll just have a great opportunity to receive blessings. You remember what it said in Proverbs, the first chapter? <laughs> There's some specific instructions. He says, My son, verse 10, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us and let us all have one purse. Verse 15 doesn't say, but if you go with them, I'm going to drop little handfuls on purpose on the way where you'll be blessed. See, he didn't say that, did he? <laughs> he said, my son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path. Why? For their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. In other words, the end that you're going to experience there is not gleaning little handfuls of purpose that have been dropped in your way, but what you're going to experience is, is the shedding of blood. You're going to experience bad things. Matthew 7 and verse 13, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. You know, the broad way is not called the broad way of handfuls of purpose. <laughs> it's, 
It's called the broad way that leadeth to destruction. He didn't say, oh, well, you know, if you get on the broad way, I still, you know, there'll be some handfuls of purpose along that. No, he said there'll be destruction on that way. There'll be problems going that way. When we get to heaven, let's look up the prodigal son. Let's ask him about the handfuls of purpose that were dropped in his way. Let's ask him about, well, well, when you were down there in the hog pen, every once in a while, didn't just uh, a little bit extra slop fall your way? <laughs> and oh, yeah, you just praise the Lord for it. Oh, thank you, Lord, for this slop that I got to, the husks that I got to. There weren't, God wasn't in that. <laughs> Those weren't handfuls of purpose. You know what happened to him? <clears throat> he sat up one day and he remembered where the handfuls of purpose had been dropped. Amen. Yeah. Boaz said, Ruth, don't you go anywhere else. Don't you go to another field. She could have gone to another field. She could have said, you know, man, I had such a great experience here, but I saw a field over there. They had a lot more people. They had a lot more people gleaning in that field. Man, I think I'm going to go try it out. <laughs> They had a band playing. <laughs> they had a party afterwards. Uh, looks like everybody was happy, you know. But he said, don't you leave this field. See, Ruth had to be in the right place. Child of God, we need to be in the right place in order to experience these blessings from God. But also, Ruth was not only in the right place, but she was doing the right thing. She's doing the right thing. She, she was gleaning. <laughs> she was gleaning. Don't take this the wrong way because I know I'm really not talking to you young ladies, okay? <clears throat> but some ladies today, I think their approach to this would have been to, to get up and braid their hair and put on their makeup and put on as form-fitting a dress as they could possibly find. And then go sit out in that field and just sit out oh, helpless and clueless. Oh, what do I do? I'm looking for my knight in shining armor to come by, you know. What, what I do is, and you know, I, I, I suspect that had she done this, that the conversation that uh, Boaz had with his young men, you know, in verse 5, Boaz said unto his servant that sat over him, and th now this is the way I think he said it. You know, we, we, we can't read it, the emotion here, but I think we can pick up on this. I can see Boaz walking along, seeing this Ruth, and he's like, looks, and he's like, whoa. <laughs> and he says, come here, come here. Whose damsel is this? You know, he's smitten, you know. Now, if she'd been doing what most of the world teaches young women to do, to sit out there in the middle of the field, he'd say, whose damsel is that? <laughs> you know, what's she doing? I don't know. She'd been sitting out in the middle of the field calling for Boaz all day, you know, saying, oh, I need help. What can I do? You know, doing nothing. Doing nothing. We see, she was gleaning. And, and, and my point is that, that now, now, now let me say, that may be attractive to some young men, but it's not the right kind of young man. You'll attract somebody. You put on the slinkiest dress, you put on the, uh, 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 the, the best perfume, and you, you get out there and act all helpless and uh, all this, you know, the way the world takes you. You'll attract a man, but it won't be the kind of man you want. She was gleaning. That means she was working. Remember what the reapers said? Verse 6, she said, it's the Moabitish damsel uh, that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. She said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now. 
that she tarried just a little in the house. She quit just for a little bit and she's been here the whole time. She's out there working. She wasn't primping. She, you know, look, it's okay. You, you should, you know, men, you should try to look as nice as you can. You ladies should try to look as pretty as you can. That's nothing wrong with that. That's not what we're talking about here. But that shouldn't be your focus. And, and young men, for that matter, that shouldn't be your focus when you're looking for a young lady to be your bride. It shouldn't be the most beautiful, fashionable young woman that you look. It's wonderful if you're beautiful and fashionable, but the question is, are you beautiful on the inside? Is this a hard work? This young Ruth was a hardworking woman. Today's woman is encouraged to wear as tight a dress, as high and low cut as it can be, to flaunt as much of your body at a man as you can. And as I said, that will attract a man. But it won't be the right kind of man because fornication is condemned in God's eyes. You know, some people say, well, I just don't understand why the Lord's trying to keep uh, that particular blessing from me. He's not. He's trying to keep it for you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a blessing in the confines of marriage. But outside of that, it is a curse. And that's why he says flee fornication. You say, well, it's my body. I'll do with it what I want to. I didn't mean to get into all this this morning, but let me just, <laughs> let me just share this with you. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> People say today it's my body. You know, we've seen a march this week. You see marches all the time. And, and I, I, I certainly, I absolutely, 1,000% oppose the abuse of any woman or the exercise of any authority over a woman uh, that would be abusive in any way. And, and I understand that that is wrong, but, uh, but I want to say to you, according to the Word of God, He says in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 6, Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? I read something this morning where one of the slogans that was being taught in this women's march was, My body, my choice. <laughs> my body, my choice. You know that's not biblical. Yeah. For you are, me are you. Right. Men are women. I do things that abuse my body too, and you do it as well. But I'm telling you, our bodies are not ours. Listen to this. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh, but he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Flee it. I mean, what that means, by the way, is that you're not strong enough to resist it. That's right. yeah. So I'll stand and fight it. No, no, you won't. You'll lose. <laughs> you'll lose. You can fight it, but you'll lose. I promise you. Because you've got the sin nature within you. <laughs> Flee it. Run away. You're not a coward. You're smart if you run away. What did Joseph do? Joseph didn't stand there and say, well, I'll resist you. He fled. <laughs> he got himself up and fled. And even left his coat, he got away so fast. You may have to leave some stuff getting away. You know that? <laughs> well, if you do, that's fine. Just get yourself away. <laughs> Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. I don't have time to go there, but let me just say to you, that is, that is the, the unique thing about fornication, is that it not only is a sin against God, it's a sin against your own body. What? Now listen to this. My body, my choice. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. 
So why am I not my own? He answers, I've got an answer right here in verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. You're bought with a price. And oh, what a price it was. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. You're bought with a price. My body, my choice, no way. His body, his choice. I need to serve him, you see. And that's what she was doing. She wasn't out there primping. You know, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, in like manner also, we, we preached on modesty or immodesty recently, and we used these verses, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Doesn't this describe sweet little Ruth to, to us exactly? She wasn't out there with embroidered hair. She wasn't out there fixing herself up. She was out there working all day. And therefore, when Boaz comes on the scene and he's walking out there to see what's going on, he looks and he looks again. And young men, let me just encourage you again. Don't be attracted to the flashy, showy things of this world. You know, it ought to be that the first thing you do when you see that kind of woman out there is you look away, okay? You know what ought to get your second look? It's a sweet little woman like Ruth laboring in the field of God. And you look, and that's one, wow, wait a minute. Now, I can't really see her face, and I can't really tell exactly how she looks because she's out there all bent over working. But, man, she's attractive to me. Not because of her outward appearance, but because of what she's doing. And see, she wasn't prideful either. That's another thing. You know, I can just see Boaz sort of timidly going up to her in a way and saying, you know, I want to talk to you. Uh, I want to talk to this woman. Say it in his mind. I want to talk to this young lady and see, boy, I hope it turns out she is what she appears to be. But you know, it says in verse uh, 8, then Boaz said unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter, go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maids. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Oh, how disappointed he would be if Ruth had looked, had stood up and said, well, it's about time. <laughs> I've been out here working all day, and you finally notice me, big boy. I'm glad you finally see what's good for you. <laughs> you see, she wasn't prideful. She didn't have, not only did she have a work ethic, she had a strong sense of humility. She did. That's, that's, what, that's what's attractive to Boaz. She didn't feel entitled. She fell on her face, verse 10, and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? Now let me just quickly, men, young men, dissuade you. They don't have to fall on their face in front of you, okay, when you come to ask them out. You know, that's not something that's necessary. My dear sweet wife turned me down the first time I asked her out, you know. So she just shows how smart she was, you know. But, uh, but uh, my point is this, is that she was not lifted up with pride. She was not... Uh, 
someone up in your face. She said, why have you taken knowledge of me, seeing that I'm a stranger? She wasn't, well, let me just put it this way. Psalms 84 and verse 10. This is the application for us in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we get this idea of, boy, that church needs me. Well, we do, okay? Let me, let me make, make it clear as I can be. We need you. We need every one of you. But some people sometimes can say, well, they need me more than they need brother or sister so-and-so. What would they do without me? Well, I don't want to find out. The best way not to find out is for you not to have that attitude. Because <laughs> I promise you, if you've got that attitude before long, you'll be seeking somewhere else. You know what Psalms 84 and verse 10 said? Psalms 84 and verse 10 says, A day in thy courts is better than a thousand. That means it's better than a thousand days somewhere else. Just one day in the court of God, in the kingdom of God. He said, I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. You don't ever need to be lifted up with pride about the kingdom of God. And this sweet little young Ruth, she was doing the right thing with the right attitude. And finally, she was seeking the right result. Notice she wasn't seeking all this for herself. In verse 2 of chapter 2, she said, she said to Naomi, let me now go in the field and glean ears of corn. After him in whose side I shall find grace. It says to her mother-in-law, she's there trying to take care of her because her husband's dead. They're widows in a land that's not fair, favorable to widows. And then we see, as we continue looking in this story, that in verse 18 and 19, she took up what she had gleaned. Uh, she went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved that that she had reserved after she was sufficed. See, she took it to her mother-in-law. She was working for her family. That was all the family she she had, and she put Naomi first. She took it to her first. Paul tells us in Philippians, he said, "Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory." He says that we should. Um, in lowliness of mind, esteem other better than ourselves. See, in the kingdom of God, we're not looking every man on his own things, but every man on things of the other, you see. That's what this is about. We're not in here laboring to try to lift ourselves up. We're la laboring to help one another. And I'm looking for ways, or should be looking for ways to help you. And you should be looking for ways to help me. And that's what she was doing. She wasn't seeking for herself. And she really wasn't expecting a benefit. She just went out there to glean. She didn't go out there to try to get a husband even. She just was expecting hard work and long days and a little bit of gathering, a little bit of gleaning. But instead she found God's grace <laughs> and a lot of gleaning and handfuls of purpose. Handfuls of purpose. And one thing that we need to see about Ruth as we kind of bring this to a close, she recognized the treasure. You remember Matthew 13, the parable about the treasure in the field? It said, man, the kingdom of God is as if a man that finds a treasure in the field. And for joy thereof, he goes and sells everything he hath and purchases the field. She saw the treasure. She recognized what it was. Verse 20, Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living, to the dead. 
Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi, who we've sold pretty short, we see she still has got a heart for the kingdom of God. She said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens and that they meet thee not in any other field. She said, Don't let them find you somewhere else. Don't let them run into you in somebody else's field. You stay with them. So, look at verse 23. She, that is Ruth, kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. I don't know if maybe she just expected, well, this is a barley harvest and it'll all be over when that's done. But she stuck with Boaz all the way through the wheat harvest too. See, there's some unexpected things that occur when you come to the kingdom of God. You may have come in just to visit. You know, I like that song that we sing that he's, I came here just to visit. Oh, but what a glorious thing. You know, I, got, I came here just to visit and I got hooked. I got hooked. Amen. I'm still here. I came here for the barley harvest. Amen. And I'm still here for the wheat harvest. Amen. And I want to be here for the corn harvest. And I want to be here... I'm going to stay through the famine. I'm going to stay for the winter. And I'm going to try to help replow some ground and help sow some more seed. And I'm going to stay here through all the harvests. See, staying faithful to the kingdom of God will result in many unexpected <coughs> blessings, many handfuls of purpose. You know, did Abigail, who we read about, that married King David, did she have any idea that she was going to be queen of Israel at one point? Did Esther really expect to save her people? She thought she was going to die. <laughs> but what an unexpected blessing to be the deliverer. Did we really expect to be here today? <laughs> I didn't. Did we really expect the handfuls of purpose that God has given us here in this place? See, this isn't an ancient tale. This is a modern story that applies today. And staying faithful to the kingdom of God will affect others. It'll affect others. You remember Naomi, Debbie Downer? I mean, oh, woe is me. God's against me. There's nothing for me. It's over. Don't call me even Naomi anymore. Call me bitter. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Did we ever expect her to say in verse 20, blessed be he of the Lord? See, Ruth being faithful affected Naomi who had lost sight of the kingdom of God. I want to say to you, some of us that have come in late to the kingdom of God have affected others who have gotten kind of jaded in the kingdom of God and have forgotten things. I think about Brother Furman all the time. He says things to me all the time like, I never thought I'd see it. You know, I never thought I'd experience it. What we're seeing here. Do you know that laboring in the kingdom of God and being faithful will affect others? <laughs> never thought we'd hear Naomi say, bless it again, didn't we? We're going to see her rejoicing through the rest of this whole account. Most importantly, most importantly, staying faithful to the kingdom of God pleases the Lord. I'm glad it pleases you that I'm faithful. I'm glad it, it pleases me that you're faithful. But I'm so thankful it pleases God. I want to serve Him even if it doesn't please you. Or even if you don't please me, you ought to want to serve Him. See, Isaiah chapter 66. 
in verse 1. There's a, there's a pretty good statement here we need to remember. 66 in verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? <laughs> For all those things hath mine hand made, all those things have been, saith the Lord. How can we possibly please Him? He sits so high on the throne that the earth is His footstool. I don't know any king like that today, do you? I don't know any president. I don't know any monarch anywhere. But the Lord is so high in the heavens. And the old uh, black man I talked to one time made the statement, the Lord, He, look, he sits high. But thankfully, verse 2 tells us He looks low. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and that trembleth at my word. He doesn't look to the proud and the mighty and the powerful. And did Boaz look for that in a while? No. Boaz, remember verse 5? I like that. He says, whose damsel is this? Now here's a place where Boaz is a type of Christ. It is a type of the Lord. You notice who caught his attention? It wasn't the high and the mighty. There were some purebred women of Israel, probably princesses of Israel, that he could have probably had his pick of. But he sees this little woman, this poor and contrite spirit, spirited woman. And that's who he was interested in. Verse 11, I like, I like verse 11. After she speaks to him, it says, I'm, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? Thou shouldst take knowledge of me, see I'm a stranger. Verse 11 says, And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been shown me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. He didn't say, I've looked at your modeling photographs. I've looked at your, uh, your plan for success. He said, I just see that you've been humble and sweet and kind and good. And that word answered there literally means raised his voice. Boaz is excited. He's getting excited here. Boaz answered and said these things. And he leaves her with this. After she gets up to go back to work, you know, I can just see Boaz looking around at his young men and said, let me tell you something. You let her glean among the sheaves. And you don't say one word to her. Verse 15, reproach her not. And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her. And leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. When we are in the kingdom of God and we're in the right field, we may just be gleaning. And we really are here in this world. We haven't come into the full harvest. The most we get here are first fruits. One day, though, we're going to get the full harvest. But while we're here, in the right place, doing the right thing, with the right attitude, and with the right purpose, like sweet little Ruth, God will let fall some handfuls of purpose. I've experienced it this morning. I needed this this morning. I needed to be here in this place with you. This is a handful. This is a blessing that God has given us on purpose. So let us remember this as we go about our daily lives. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.